Hi, this is Linwood Barclay, and this is The Broken Promise, a four-part podcast adapted from Broken Promise. Uh, over the last few years, I've written a few novels about a place called Promise Falls, and a lot of the characters from those books are going to show up in Broken Promise. In particular, a fellow named David Harwood, who you might remember from the novel Never Look Away. And our story begins with David. A couple of hours before all hell broke loose, I was in bed, awake since five, pondering the circumstances that had returned me at the age of 41 to my childhood home. It wasn't that the room was exactly the same as when I'd moved out almost 20 years ago. The Ferrari poster no longer hung over the blue-striped wallpaper, and the kit I built of the Starship Enterprise, hardened amber-like droplets of glue visible on the hull, no longer sat on the dresser. But it was the same dresser, and it was the same wallpaper, and this was the same single bed. Sure, I'd spent the night in here a few times over the years as a visitor, but to be back here as a resident, to be living here with my parents and my son, Ethan, God, what a fucking state of affairs. How had it come to this? It wasn't that I didn't know the answer to that question. It was complicated, but I knew. The descent had begun five years ago after my wife, Jan, passed away. Wanting a new start for Ethan and myself, I quit my job as a reporter for the Promise Falls Standard. Not that hard a decision, considering the lack of interest by the paper's management in actually covering anything approaching news, and accepted an editing position on the city desk at the Boston Globe. The money was better, and Boston had a lot to offer Ethan. The Children's Museum, the Aquarium, Fandle Hall Marketplace, the Red Sox, the Bruins. But there's always a but. But most of my duties as an editor took place in the evening, after reporters had handed in their stories. I could see Ethan off to school, sometimes even pop by and take him to lunch, since I didn't have to be at the paper until three or four in the afternoon. But that meant most nights I did not have dinner with my son. I wasn't there to make sure Ethan spent more time on his homework than video games. I wasn't there to keep him from watching countless episodes of shows about backwoods duck hunters or airheaded wives of equally airheaded sports celebrities or whatever the latest celebration of American ignorance and or wretched excess happened to be. But the really troubling thing was, I just wasn't there. A lot of being a dad amounts to being around, being available, not being at work. My parents offered to move to Boston to help out, but I wanted no part of that. My dad, Don, was in his early 70s now, and Arlene, my mother, was only a couple of years behind him. I was not going to uproot them, especially after a recent scare dad put us all through, a minor heart attack. He was okay now getting his strength back, taking his meds, but the man was not up to a move. So when I heard the standard was looking for a reporter, I swallowed my pride and made the call. I felt like I'd eaten a bucket of Kentucky Fried Crow when I called the managing editor and said, I'd like to come back. It would be a shitty place to go back to, I knew that. It wouldn't be real journalism. It would be filling the space between the ads, at least what ads there were. I'd be cranking out stories and rewriting press releases as quickly as I could type them. But on the upside, 
I'd be back to working mostly days. I'd be able to spend more time with Ethan. And when he did have evening obligations, Ethan's grandparents, who loved him beyond measure, could keep an eye on him. The Standard's managing editor offered me the job. I gave my notice to the Globe and my landlord and moved back to Promise Falls. I did move in with my parents, but that was to be a stopgap measure. My first job would be to find a house for Ethan and myself. All I could afford in Boston was a rented apartment, but back here, I'd be able to get us a proper home. Real estate prices were in free fall. Then everything went to shit at 1.15 p.m. on Monday, my first day back at the Standard, when the publisher, Madeline Plimpton, came into the newsroom. I have an announcement, she said, the words catching in her throat. We won't be publishing an edition tomorrow. And we won't be publishing the day after that. It's with a profound sense of sadness that I tell you that the Standard is closing. She said some more things about profitability and the lack thereof, about the decline in advertising and classifieds in particular, about a drop in market share, plummeting readership, about not being able to find a sustainable business model. Some staff started to cry. A tear ran down Plimpton's cheek, which, to give her the benefit of the doubt, was probably genuine. I was not crying. I was too fucking angry. I had quit the goddamn Boston Globe. I'd walked away from a decent, well-paying job to come back here. Out on the sidewalk, I got up my cell and called my former editor in Boston. Had the job been filled, could I return? We're not filling it, David, he said. I'm sorry. So now, here I was, living with my parents. No wife, no job, no prospects. Loser. It was seven. Time to get up, have a quick shower, wake up Ethan, get him ready for school. I opened the door to his room. It used to be a sewing room for Mom, but she'd cleared out her stuff when we moved in. And I said, hey, pal, time to get cracking. My parents, who believed sleeping in was staying in bed past 5.30, I'd heard them getting up as I'd stared at that dark ceiling, were already in the kitchen when I made my entrance. They'd have both had breakfast by this time, and Dad, on his fourth coffee by now, was sitting at the kitchen table, still trying to figure out how to read the news on an iPad tablet, which Mom had bought for him after the standard stopped showing up at the door every morning. He was stabbing at the device with his index finger, hard enough to knock it off its stand. For God's sakes, Don, my mom said, you're not trying to poke its eye out, you just tap it lightly. David, did I tell you about that girl at the checkout at Walgreens? What was her name? It'll come to me. Anyway, she's cute as a button, and she's split up with her husband, and... Mom, please. She was always on the lookout trying to find someone for me. It was time, she liked to say. Ethan needed a mother. I'm just saying, she persisted, that I think she'd be pretty receptive if you were to ask her out, whatever her name is. Next time we're in there together, I'll point her out. Dad spoke up. For God's sakes, Arlene, leave him alone. And come on, he's got a kid and no job. That doesn't exactly make him a great prospect. Good to have you in my corner, Dad, I said. I wanted to ask, Mom said to me, what you might have on for this morning. Why, what's up? Well, I mean, if you have some job interviews lined up, I don't want to interfere with that or anything. Mom, just tell me what it is you want. Well, I have some things I wanted you to drop off for Marla. That'd be Marla Pickens, my cousin, younger than me by a decade, daughter of Mum's sister, Agnes. Sure, I said, I can do that. 
Mom said, I made up a chili, and I had so much left over, I froze some of it, and I know she really likes my chili, so I froze a few single servings in some glad containers, and I, and I picked her up a few other things, some Stouffer's frozen dinners. They won't, be as good as, they won't be as good as homemade, but still, I don't think that girl is eating. It's not for me to comment, but I don't think Agnes is looking in on her often enough. And the thing is, I think it would be good for her to see you, instead of us old people always dropping by. She's always liked you. Sure, I said. And then Mom said, ever since this business with the baby, she just hasn't been right. I know, I said. I'll do it. <laughs>